Hey there, and welcome back to the Clarity Podcast. This podcast is all about providing clarity, insight, and encouragement for life and mission. And my name's Aaron Santemeyer, and I'm going to be your host. Today, we get to sit down with Dr. Alicia Britt Choli, better known as Dr. ABC, and get to learn from her. We go over... And I had read her book, ordered her book on Kindle, and um, The Night is Normal, and then it was one I ordered because I wanted to have a hard copy of it. So I reached out and asked if she would consider being on the podcast, and she graciously agreed. And we have a, a very insightful conversation. This is not a superficial conversation. I think that's what you'll learn quickly. She has a deep, rich faith understanding of God's word. Um, her spiritual depth is is deep. Uh, her understanding is just, um, it's challenging. And um, she has a way, obviously, she's a phenomenal communicator. She's a phenomenal writer. And that's a, that's a rare combination. A lot of times people are really good writers or maybe really good speakers, but she has both of those things. She's she's a phenomenal communicator orally and in written word, and I think you'll be challenged by it. Um, at least I was. We had, we discussed this idea she shares in the book that there's a disconnect between the night and how the night and growth, nearness, and love, and that disconnect has caused many, in her words, shipwrecked. It shipwrecked many souls. Um, we talked that, that God created both the night and light. And um, and maybe why we kind of drift towards wanting to be in the light, but not recognizing that God, recognizing that God created both. The idea of what she shares her definition of disillusionment, and um, how that differentiates between cynicism and skepticism and despair. Um, yeah, we just uh, great conversations. One of the last ones I asked her was, "What does how does asking what God wants center us in the night rather than as asking um, or telling God what we want when we're in the middle of the night. And um, just great, insightful conversation and really appreciated her being on the podcast. Do want to ask you to continue to send in your questions for Back Channel with Foth. That's where we get to sit down with Dick Foth and get to learn from him. Um, ask you to also continue to subscribe to the podcast. I know the podcasts I subscribe to are the ones that I listen to. And many of you shared your Spotify list, um, where you ranked on Spotify uh, is listening to this podcast at the end of the year. And um, that put a smile on my face. And I do appreciate you continue to listen in and um, continue to share the podcast. If you have friends or people you know would like to listen in, um, yeah, please feel free to share. And um, continuing to look forward to this year, we have uh, highlights of guests uh, coming up in the coming months. And um, we're going to do another focus on marriage in February. Um, just looking forward to 2024 and all it has to offer and the great guests that we'll get to learn from. I'm a learner, so I love having guests on the podcast I can learn from and will help me grow in my relationship with Christ and um, my relationship with uh, other people and uh, and to grow as a person. But um, we got a great lineup coming up in 2024 and do want to thank you for continuing to listen in. Well, there's no time better than now to get started. So here we Greetings and welcome back to the Clarity Podcast. Excited to have with us today on the podcast, Dr. Alicia Britt Sholey. Welcome to the podcast. Almost. We practiced her name before and I practiced this in the car with my wife and I still probably got it wrong. So I'm going to call you Dr. ABC because that's what I also saw that you go by. That I can definitely pronounce as a West Virginian. So will you share your last name, how it's per correctly pronounced? Well, we go with Sholey. There we go. Sholey. There it is. But and, anything uh, close, I'll turn around. I promise we're good. 
Uh, good deal. Good deal. Will you go ahead and just share a little bit about yourself before I, I, I butchered your name. Um, I've started off on the wrong foot, but we're going to have fun th- this evening. Um, and I'm excited to learn from me. Will you share a little bit about yourself before we jump into some of the questions? Sure. Happy to. I live with my um, amazing husband of 33 years and our three children all through the miracle of adoption in the Ozarks of Missouri, out in the country where the stars shine brightly and the dogs bark loudly. And uh, <laughs> our kids now are 26, 20, and 16. Wow. And so holidays are really precious because they're all home, or at least we try to get them all home. My husband and I uh, direct a nonprofit that's devoted to providing soul care, confidential, customized soul care for leaders around the world. So we feel like we have the best best calling in the world. We get to come alongside of people who want to make sure that their leadership within is mm. even stronger than the leadership mm. people see. Yeah. And um, so that they can end well. Yeah. And, to get to come alongside of souls that are that that hungry for God and hungry for growth. It's just an incredible joy. Well, that's exciting. Soul care. Um, so what does that look like in yeah. in this day and age? Yes, well, I think it, it in this day and age, it can look like a whole lot of different things, mm. um, not at all necessarily based on a belief in God, let alone in Jesus. So mm. what Barry and I mean when we talk about soul care, and I I hate to be that specific, but I think you almost have to, to avoid misunderstandings. Uh, What we mean by soul care is that uh, we believe that each individual's soul was a gift from God. God breathed Mm -hmm. and you, Aaron, came into existence. And so you are absolutely saturated with a custom set of fingerprints by the Mm -hmm. creator, God. Mm -hmm. And so if the soul is really the gift of God that begins our life, uh, attending to it is a way of saying thank you to the giver. Hmm. And that removes soul care out of the realm of a spiritualized form of narcissism and puts it squarely in the realm of nearness with God. How can I say thank you to the one who gave me life? Well, by taking care of that life. How can I say thank you to the one who gave me breath? Well, by living each breath with him and for him. So soul care is an application of intentionality to spiritual growth. That's exciting. Exciting. Well, I'm yeah, glad I asked that question. I, that was not, on, <laughs> was not on the list, but I'm glad I asked. I'm glad I asked. So today we're going to spend some a little bit of time um, discussing The Night is Normal. Um, this was a book that, you know, normally I read for the podcast um, on Kindle, but this was one I started on Kindle and thought I got to get it and uh, and a hard copy of it. So got it in hard copy. So I read it in Kindle and then dog-eared it all the way in the in the hard copy. And um, it's one that, that I'm glad I did. It's one that will be in my library and, and loved and was challenged um, by it. Uh, so you share in the beginning the, the idea that there's a disconnect between the night and growth and nearness. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it's, this sh- has shipwrecked many souls. Can you unpack that for us? I think that that was, pro- it was profound. It was something that I, I, I thought about and prayed about a, um, a good bit um, since reading it and it's underlined. And I said dog-eared in the book. Um, will you share just a little bit more about that? Yes. Well, you have highlighted like the reason why I wrote the book. Okay. And so I'll, I'll come back to that. I'm going to start a little bit earlier just to talk about the night in the book of Genesis, when 
before the fall, before sin, before the drama, before the curse, before everything. Night was one of the original residents of Eden. Hmm. There was day and there was night. There was the greater light to govern the day, the lesser light to govern the night. God always left a nightlight on. So from the very, very beginning, walking with God required day faith and night faith. So the night is normal. Now we know physically the brain science people are also telling us now that physically the night is necessary Hmm. as far as how it affects our immune system and uh, even anxiety and mental rest. The night, that rest that comes in the night is essential. And you think about what is it happens when we're resting in the night? Well, we close our eyes and we abandon control. (laughs) Yeah. That's what's happening. Yeah. I mean, sleeping is a very vulnerable thing. For sure. But it's absolutely essential for our mental, physical, and spiritual health. Hmm. So as an image, when I think of day faith, Aaron, I think of those seasons in life where we see clearly and we know fully and we're walking confidently into a well-lit future. That's day faith. And night faith is the reverse, when we don't see clearly and we no longer know fully. And uh, we are confident of very, very little in the night. We find ourselves having to decide what is it that we really trust. And Mm. I often find in the night that I trusted my understanding. Mm. (laughs) Mm. I I lead with my head. Um, I lead with my knowledge. I lead with my understanding. But in the night, that illusion of self-leadership vaporizes And we have an opportunity to choose to trust. So here's the challenge, getting back to what you highlighted, which is the why of the book. Uh, We prefer day faith. Hmm. In fact, we've spiritualized day faith. Okay. We pass off optimism as faith on a regular basis. And so when we enter the nights, we feel like we're there because something has gone wrong. We we took a wrong turn. We misheard God. Somebody else did something. Uh, or, or God is no longer near us. We assume that we've failed faith, exited faith, or that faith or God has failed, exited us. But starting with Genesis, faith is normal. Post-curse, we see every single spirit leader that we want to read their words more than once. Very, very familiar with the night. You may call it the wilderness, the desert, the seasons of grief, seasons of uncertainty. The night is one of the most formative places Hmm. of faith historically in all of Christianity and even going back further in Judaism as well. Hmm. The night helps us realize that glitters in the day but it grows depth in the dark Hmm. and how desperately we need people of faith with depth in these days. Yeah, for sure. And um, you, you share in the book about the fragility that some of our, you have, I think you said some concerns about the fragility of our faith. How does that correspond to this idea of light and night? And yeah, can you share more about that? Yes. Yeah. Well, I, I don't know how old 
but and I won't ask. 47. I, I'll tell you 47. 47. Just okay, turn well, 47. All righty. Well, I've got you by a decade. And when I look at um, the 20 somethings and the 30 somethings, one of my greatest concerns is something that they've inherited from us, hmm. at least from my generation. Okay. I'll speak my generation. I think that we really blurred the lines between emotion and devotion. Wow. How so? Well, I think that in our effort to make church exciting, we forgot that Jesus never called us to be excited. Wow. And a generation that's grown up with us asking them questions like, do you feel God in the room? Do you sense God? God's here. Can you feel him? Mm. Well, what if you can't? Does that change him? Mm. We have communicated to a generation to decide whether or not God is in the room. And I would say correlated to decide whether or not God approves of them through the window of their senses. And so, <laughs> you know, my senses every once in a while are smart enough to pick up on the profundity of God's presence every once in a while. But my senses don't create his presence. Mm. Whether I see stars or I feel nothing, it changes him not, nor does it change his commitment to be with us. So we have blurred the lines between emotion and devotion, mm. which leads to a generation that can't really tell the difference sometimes between adrenaline and anointing. Wow. And wow. understandably struggles to discern the difference between what feels good and what is good. Hmm. So the corrective isn't to become non-emotional, but okay. the corrective is to reposition emotions hmm. behind truth. Okay. <laughs> to reposition emotions behind the word of God and the historical truths that have guided our faith through some of the darkest times in history. Hmm. What are some of the dangers of that confusion between um, maybe spiritual dangers or personal dangers of that confusion mm -hmm. between adrenaline and anointing. Specifically, yeah. oh. I, I'm, I'm Pentecostal. I grew up in uh, somebody's God church, born and raised Monday, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, we were all in. Um, but that, that, that resonates with me, that idea of confusion between mm. adrenaline and anointing. Yes. Well, you know, adrenaline is part of how we've been designed. And so when we're in positive environments and negative environments, but let's, let's assume that most of your experiences in the Pentecostal <laughs> church were positive. <laughs> so, um, you know, we're, they're, we're carried by the, these beautiful services, these hmm. soaring songs, um, these prayer times where we could have stayed for hours and hours. Yeah. At least I remember when I, yeah. Jesus first interrupted my life, my goodness, we kept closing the church down. Yeah. All we wanted to do was to linger. Do you remember mm. the word linger? Oh, for sure. We wanted yeah. to linger at the altar and yeah. just worship. Well, those are beautiful soul shaping experiences. The problem is that we started thinking that that's where God was. Hmm as opposed to an exclamation mark of what is always true is that God is always with me. Mm. Whether I'm weeping at an altar, whether my arms are raised in a song, whether I feel myself being carried by a message or today a podcast okay. or the latest thing on Spotify or yeah. that extraordinary conference. The mistake is that we start thinking that that's where we have to go to find the presence of God. Mm. 
I know that that was never the intention mm. of the the people who crafted the conferences and the musicians who created the songs and the authors who wrote the books and you know the the visionaries that are leading the podcast. They wanted us to know that the same God we learn about there and sometimes feel there is with us everywhere. Yeah. So so what happens when we start associating those exclamation marks as the sources of God's presence? Well, we try to string them all together so that mm. we have complete coverage. Then mm. we go from song to song and podcast to podcast and conference to conference. And whenever our adrenaline dips a bit, which is just the equalization of it, yeah. just the normalization of it, we interpret that dip as, oh, no, I'm losing it. Mm. We talk about the after conference uh, pit of despair or how yep. most pastors you know, resign on Mondays. Our adrenaline surge yeah. is just normalizing. Mm. That's not failure. So we keep trying to keep that above the line yeah. with yet another something, which is simply exhausting. Mm. And, and it doesn't at all leave room for a theology of night. Yeah. Wow. Of the wow. kind of rest that comes in the night. Wow. It makes me think I grew up, and I, I loved it, um, going to youth camp, kids camp, youth camp. And they were the, I would say, those adrenaline times. And um, sure. you would be there, enjoy it. But then you there was this, there was this dip that would come off. And um, you normally you'd start back to school. And then you would think, if I, I need to run back to youth camp or kids camp or whatever right. it was for that um, rush once again. So anyway, that's... Yeah. Totally off script, um, taken totally off the questions I thought I was going to ask you, but that one was one um, that, as you you mentioned it, I thought uh, I thought yeah. I was going to jump into it. And so if I could the other, say one more thing. Yeah, go ahead. I'm so sorry. The, when we hit that dip, if we do not have a framework to interpret the dip, hmm. uh, we have a tendency to say, well, it must not have been real. Wow. And how many thousands upon thousands of 20-somethings and teens are we losing right now hmm. because they're looking back and they're saying, well, I guess it wasn't real because it didn't remain. Hmm. They keep looking for a feeling that remains, but faith isn't a feeling hmm. and God is not a feeling. So that doesn't mean that we remove all the music from our youth events, but I do think that we've got to offer them a framework of, hey, this is amazing. And do not forget this and be prepared for what is just adrenaline normalization after this event. Do not interpret it as a faith failure or do not allow the enemy to cause you to question the reality wow. of what you felt here. Hmm. We just need to add some framework to give them yeah. something that they can process the space with. Yeah. How, how does, how does, We'll put you and me in the same generation. How do we have a conversation like that without coming in seeming coming in heavy-handed? Um, and how how can we navigate a conversation like that where we're we're trying to put structure or riverbanks on that mm -hmm. and the guidance and direction? How and build that relationship? Does that is that a, is that a fair question? Oh, I think it's a very fair question, and I'm, I'm sure the answer would vary depending on context, but okay. I can tell you how I'm beginning the conversation. I'm beginning okay. by asking forgiveness. Hmm. I, when I have a chance to, some, I mean, my favorite groups to interact with are the 20-somethings and the 30-somethings, 
I'm asking forgiveness. Please forgive me and my generation. We had no intention of setting you up to confuse emotion and devotion, but we have. And so please forgive me. Some of the challenges that you're facing is because we gave you an incomplete theology regarding spiritual growth, which grant me the grace to perhaps share that more holistically. And I, I find that when we own what's ours, which we have to, I mean, we inherited some stuff from the generation before us too. <laughs> we did. We'll just let that be. Sure. But when I, when I own my own stuff, people are a lot more open to mm. seeing theirs. Mm. Mm. Do you think, and does the generation as you've had these conversations, do they see that? Do they see that they're going yeah. this? Do they, do they, do they sense that inside of them? And does it resonate when you have the conversations with them? I've, I've been remarkably um, grateful for their mm-hmm. response. I, yes, it's like they were trying to put their finger on something, but they wasn't, they weren't quite sure what okay. it was. And they were defaulting to figuring out that they had done something wrong or assuming that the church, you know, was serving them something that wasn't sustainable. Hmm. Hmm. So I have found, at least my personal experience has been, I've found them to be very open-hearted, open-handed, forgiving, and willing to realize that there's some work to do for the corrective. I just spoke at a really magnificent, an incredible event to a bunch of 18 to 30-year-olds, and they graciously asked me to share one evening. And one of the things I talked to them about was how the the correlation between fast faith and fast food, <laughs> and, you know, and, you know, fast food is fast, at least for yeah. us, you yeah. know, we just, yeah. it's a kind of a clickable, consumable, and yeah. fast faith is easy, mm. at least for us, because somebody else worked to create it. Mm. And fast faith is kind of addictive. Mm. I mean, fast food is kind of addictive, and yeah. so is fast faith because of its delivery system. Mm. And so the the challenge was um, not to throw out these amazing things, the podcasts and the books and right. the conferences, not to throw them out, but to reposition them, okay. to reposition them as an appetizer, to reposition them as a side dish, as a dessert, but to start taking more responsibility for making our own meal, which isn't wow. that exciting. Hmm. And that leads us to a weatherproof commitment to growing our relationship with the word of God, hmm. a feelings proof commitment to developing slower disciplines like listening hmm. and silence and repentance and even intercession, hmm. the, the unglamorous disciplines that uh, provide us stability regardless of, you know, the temperature of our emotions. That's exciting to hear about and, um, and challenging at the same time. And uh, mm-hmm. even in, as you share some of those, yeah, it's, uh, it's challenging even, even for myself. Um, you talk about disillusionment. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, I, I do a lot of reading. And, um, but this, I think, is the, one of the first, it is the first work that I know of that I've read about disillusionment. And something that jumped off to the page, the page and my wife and I have had, we've had the discussion about it. Um, the idea that you differentiate between disillusionment, cynicism, skepticism, and despair. Mm-hmm. It's the first time I've yes. ever heard a conversation around that. Um, so I wanted to ask you, how do you frame disillusionment 
And then how do you differentiate it between those three words, which honestly, until you brought it up, I would have probably put them all in the same boat and probably used them synonymously is the same thing um, until you unpacked it for me, which was very valuable. So would you share Um, that? Would you share it for us? Yeah, absolutely. I definitely can share the first part. I'll have to thumb to the to the book to share the rest of them. (laughs) uh, Disillusionment. I kept searching for a word as I started doing the study, Aaron, the Genesis to Revelation study on spiritual pain between that we experience between us and God, internal pain within our own faith, and then with one another, and landed on disillusionment as, to me, such a powerful word that maintains hope, Hmm. because we need hope in the night, and disillusionment delivers it to us. Okay. So the word itself, you're not going to find it in the scriptures, except for like, I think there were one or two really obscure translations that used it randomly. There was like only one overlap in 40 different translations that I looked at. So uh, the word disillusionment, dis is the negation of, illusion is false ideas or ideals, Hmm. and meant is the act of. So disillusionment is the act of negating false ideas or ideals. Okay. Disillusionment is, as my uh, a friend of mine used to say, the dissing of illusions. Hmm. It's the loss of illusions. But Hmm. here's where the hope comes in, which distinguishes this from despair and cynicism. And what were the other two that I mentioned in the book? Uh, Let me ask And skepticism. Cynicism, skepticism, skepticism, and despair. Yeah. Is because when you lose an illusion, a door opens to gain a reality. Wow. And... That's where the hope is. Every single time you and I bump up against something with God and we're like, well, this is not the way I thought you would behave. Mm. This is not what I thought you would do. Mm. We lose an illusion Mm. of of the simplicity of God and we gain the reality of the complexity of God. Mm. I think the image that I use in the book is of a balloon that we inflate. And when it has too much air, it pops. And so we have these ideas of God and we're floating them about in our faith. And we come upon these experiences in life that pop the balloon. Hmm. And we can say, okay, evidently my idea of God was too small. Yeah. And we gain this reality of God. Uh, Another image that may be helpful is the, um, the image of a child, you know, a baby when they think of mom as, you know, an infant, they associate mom with nourishment, mom with milk. Hmm. And as they get older, they're thinking, oh, mama's face, mama's hands. Yeah. Later on, they realize mom's a distinct human being, but still there for them, clearly. <laughs> and, right. and, you know, even if you take this all the way and, you know, the child has the privilege of knowing their, their parents into their 80s or 90s and, hmm. um when mom finally passes, mom is still going to be a glorious mystery. So every stage along the way, that baby is losing illusions. Hmm. The illusion represented healthy development at that time, Hmm. but it's not healthy to still be there. Yeah. It's not healthy to still view the, view your mom as milk when you're 27. Sure. You know, or, it's just not healthy. And so right. there is this progression. And this is exactly what happens with God. Yeah. We we grow. And so yeah. that's where the hope is. 
that distinguishes disillusionment from despair. Mm. As far as distinguishing it from <laughs> cynicism, you know, with cynicism, uh, there is no hope. Mm. The, the critique only leads to more critique. Uh, the defining things by what they aren't never leads us to what is. That's good. And so the disillusionment adds, it doesn't just subtract. And that is truly what distinguishes it from other possibilities and other terms that, like you yeah. said, occasionally show up as synonyms for disillusionment. Yeah. But they didn't capture the hope that I think is essential for spiritual growth. Yeah. I think it resonated for me um, deeply because a lot of times a large portion of this podcast are missionaries. And so our theology of God works really well, maybe in the town that we grew up in, or maybe in the place that we last did ministry in. And then you arrive in a new place and you're confronted with some things that you don't, in your theology, it just doesn't work the way. And I could give you stories of my own life and, and you hear it over and over where all of a sudden this idea of these false illusions that I had um, of how it was going to turn out, how how God, who I thought God was, then you're faced with other people that love Jesus more or as much as you do. And their life is not functioning in the way that you thought it would. Yeah. And it's it's a challenge. Um, it's It really is. One of my favorite quotes I've quoted the last few weeks is one of my favorite senators from this great state of West Virginia. <laughs> a quote that, for every complex problem, there is a simple, easy, and wrong answer. And uh, <laughs> and I think and I think that's been for me, honestly, I've tried my trying this simplicity and my faith has had to grow and mature because my understanding of God was honestly, is that fast food faith was simple, easy, quick. But it was wrong because that was not who God really was. And as you said, I had to go through those maturation process. And I don't think I could have, I don't think, and I'm not there, but I don't think the maturation could have happened any other way other than going through it. I don't know if that makes any sense at all. I'm not oh, supposed absolutely. to be talking, but it's, I think that's when you <laughs> talked about um, disillusionment. It, it res really resonated with me. Yes. Well, I think that missionaries are so poised for disillusionment. Hmm. They, they, I mean, from language learning, help us all. <laughs> you know, to the to the pressures of maintaining a support base and how we feel about that, yeah. how we feel when we walk into a room and we're afraid people don't see a person, they see a a pledge or they see yeah. a promise in in the asking. Yeah, um, the the cultural challenges are just enormous, and so there's this built in. Uh, I'm going to call it a stripping. There's a built in stripping in the you know cross-cultural context yeah. that reduces us yeah. and also unclutters our faith. We yeah. realize that there's these add-ons that did work in that state or did yeah. work in that culture, but uh, will not work here. And so it reduces us to the essentials of the gospel, which in the end is a gift, but in the process is just painful. And it, it, at least in my life, it's been painful. It's not been, and not like I want to run back and do it all over again. At the same time, um, I'm very thankful for it. And uh, mm -hmm. I, in these these times of night that that I've walked through, um, it's where, as you said, it's where the maturation took place. It's where the growth yeah. took place. It's where, honestly, I was 
you're closer to God. You know, when you go through the night, you want to be close to somebody you trust. And, um, and uh, yeah, it's just uh, really challenging. So you, you talk about asking the question, what does God want? Um, and that yes. helps center us in the night. Um, and what, what way does that help us rather than us um, maybe telling God what we want? And so the question yes. is you share is what does God want rather than what we tell him? Aaron telling God what Aaron wants. Is that, yeah. does that make sense? Yeah. Oh yeah. The, and this is kind of a principle that's reflected in some of the mentoring that we emphasize. There's, okay. if we could view it, there's a difference between earth up living and heaven down living. Okay. We need both to survive. The earth up living, earth up praying, earth up anything. We go from what we can see. We go from what we can measure. We go from what we feel we need. Heaven down involves the process of waiting, of mm-hmm. listening, of uh, risking <laughs> hearing. Yeah. And so I feel like uh, this is a principle of incorporating heaven down. What does God yeah. want? The context of it for me, Aaron, has been one of my one of my greatest themes of night: conflict with other people in the service of God. Mm. <laughs> Okay. All right. Let's just, we'll just go there, right? Yeah, I mean, for the, sure. The greatest bruises I have uh, were not from the lost I was trying to reach, and mm. so the the challenge of life together is uh, been very very real, and that's where this principle came up. I was talking with God about you know this pain and this conflict, and I didn't know what else to do, and I had done everything I knew to do, and it just seemed to be getting worse and worse. And I'm like, you know, Jesus, where's where's the end of this? And I felt God ask me, and again, I've never heard an audible voice. So the word of God is open. God is leaning my thoughts in his direction. I felt God asking me, Alicia, what's your goal here? Hmm. I said, well, resolution, clearly, (laughs) you know, uh, and, and his goal was different. Hmm. Uh, He was asking me to love in the midst of a lack of resolution to bless Hmm when I felt betrayed and I realized I was absolutely assuming that God and I were on the same page through this particular interpersonal (laughs) night and I was wrong. So that's where the principle came. God, what do you, what do you want? Hmm. What would be the height of success quote unquote from your perspective for this particular night that I'm in? And his answers often surprise me. Wow. And it it has to take courage to ask that question. It, it, I, I can't say that I'm asking a lot because I'm I'm learning from you. So I, I hope to ask it in the future. But that would have to take some level of courage to ask that question because you're it's a level of vulnerability. Is would that yeah. be correct? Yes. Yeah, it is a level of vulnerability. It opens us up to correction. But okay. it's also, I guess it depends on how people's brains are wired. But for me. It also takes faith to think that I might be able to hear. Well, that's good. I, that I'm not somehow operating on some assumption or hearing what I wanted to hear. Yeah. There's also an element of faith involved that God is speaking and God is leading, which again, depending on people's wirings, they may struggle with more or less, but my brain has no off button, Aaron, and it takes faith for me to think that I think that was God. And so I'm going to act accordingly. And there's a fun principle there that's in the book as well that I can share if it would be helpful. That would be great. uh, 
Yeah. So one of the principles that I talk about is the offering of a loving guess. And I use the illustration of my daughter, Kiona, who thankfully inherited from my mother because it skipped a generation, a love of cooking. Okay. So ever since Kiona was little, <laughs> oh, she just loved cooking. She And she was tiny. And so, you know, I would be with her right there at the stove. And the easiest thing to make was soup. I would, you know, carefully warm up some water and she would have a little stool to stand on. And she was trying to make mama something that she thought would please me. Yeah. So she's like, oh, mom, I'm going to put in everything that you love. And she would put in pickles because they're green and mama's eyes are green. And she would drop in, you know, some hot cocoa because mama's other favorite color is brown. And she would put in pink sprinkles from her birthday cake and an egg (laughs) because it's yellow. I mean, we are talking everything got thrown and she's just beaming. She's stirring this thing, Erin, and... I, then she serves it to me, you know, I get a little bowl and we spoon it in. I tried every single one of her soups, but I'd made this commitment that I never wanted to lie to my kids like ever. <laughs> and, and I'm thinking, Oh, you know, Lord. And so I'm tasting the soup and I'm, <laughs> I turn to her and I go, Oh baby, this is something special. I mean, this <laughs> sweetheart, this is something. And I, and it was, but here's the thing. Kiona was making loving guesses about what would please me. Mm. And she succeeded. I was pleased. Mm. And I, I sometimes, Aaron, it's like we think pleasing God is this tiny little faint line drawn in chalk that blurs in bad weather. Mm. It's more a heart posture. And learning from my daughter, I thought I need to be more courageous and offering God my best loving guess. Mm. You know, we, we make our for him. Lord, I, I think this is what you wanted me to do. This is what I think I heard. Um, yeah. As far as I know, God, this this would please you. And we throw in our pickles and our pink sprinkles and our hot cocoa eggs and we offer it to him. And I think it's enough, Aaron. Yeah. I yeah. really think the loving guest is enough. And and you you share in the book also that idea of our definition of victory. And how does that, this, this, this being enough and then how redefining victory and could you share, share some more about that too? Yeah. The book, the, it's in four different, so as you know, the first part is a framework for the night, its rightful place in spiritual growth. And then each of the subsequent parts, we talk about disillusionment with God and disillusionment with ourselves and disillusionment with other yeah so this particular talk about when we're disappointed with ourselves we really thought i would be still struggling with this issue i was i supposed to do but it just completely flopped i'm a failure my brain's a brick in language learning whatever it happens to be i i'm failing i'm failing my faith so here's the principle I encourage everybody to make sure God agrees with their definition. A long, long, long time ago, my husband and I had the joy of walking alongside of a brilliant young man who was struggling with uh, purity in his life. And he would make progress and then it would be worse than ever. And he would make some progress for maybe a couple more months. And then there it happened again, it just worse than ever. And finally, I remember the day he 
sat with his hand, his head in his hands, weeping. And he just said, that's it. I'll never know victory. I've tried everything I know to do. I will never know victory. And it was one of those Holy Spirit prompts. I felt the Holy Spirit encourage me to ask him, you know, my brother, what is your definition of victory? Hmm. And he didn't miss a beat. He knew exactly what his definition of victory is. He said, victory is the day I wake up and I no longer want to sin. Hmm. And so this dear man had woken up morning after morning, year after year, coming up on a decade, and still felt attracted to sin, assumed that that attraction was sin itself, and so figured he'd already lost and just gave in. That victory is not the absence of want to. Hmm. Victory is the presence of choose to. Victory is the presence of will to. Hmm. Another image that I use is, let's think of a young woman struggling with anorexia. No matter how she how thin she is, no matter she's in double digits now on the scale, she still yeah. looks in the mirror and she feels fat. Hmm. So is victory the waiting waiting the day when she no longer feels fat? And that would be a glorious day. We could all say that. Yeah. But victory isn't waiting for a change in her feelings. Victory is simply waiting for those tiny little steps with tons of people supporting her where she says, I still feel fat, but people I love and people I trust tell me it isn't true. There's the scent of victory. Help me today, God, to take care of the body you've given me. There's the scent of victory. Mm. But we, we tend to think that our emotions have to line up with the will of God in order for us to be in true obedience. Even Matthew 26 uh, challenges that. Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. And what is he saying? Let the cup pass. Yeah. If there is any way whatsoever, let this cup pass. But if there isn't another way, I'll drink it. Yeah. So in the realm of his feelings and his emotions, Jesus wasn't thrilled about everything that was about to take place. Sure. But he was also sinless. Yeah. So this waiting for a perfect alignment between our emotions and the will of God is going to keep us waiting. Wow. Victory is not in the absence of want to victories in the presence of choose to and will to. And that was a game changer for me. Oh, wow. Powerful, 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 powerful and rich. Um, that's how I would, I think I would describe this podcast. It's rich and, um, and uh, your wisdom. It's, um, it's a blessing. I want to ask you one more question. Sure. Um, disillusionment with, you know, as Christians, being disillusioned with the world is one thing. But then to be disillusioned maybe with um, brothers and sisters in Christ or or people in the church. Um, you you talked about that a little bit earlier when those close to us. But if there's somebody listening in, maybe they're serving on a team in a country and they've kind of become disillusioned with some teammates mm-hmm. or maybe the national church they're working with or I don't know, or Aaron, the podcast host, they're disillusioned with me. I don't know. What mm-hmm. wisdom do you have for them um, as they walk through, cause if you're, if it's the people in the world, it's not expected, mm-hmm. but you know, it's maybe easier to accept. Um, but when it's those, yeah. yeah. Any words of wisdom for somebody oh. listening in that that's in that place? Yes. Well, I think a third of the book is probably in page numbers devoted to it. <laughs> so, uh, yes, I, wow. How many leave 
because of one person yeah. or one small group of people. Yeah. I very, very rarely meet people that were involved in missions and no longer are because of their interaction with the lost. Hmm. It's normally because of how exhausted they were interacting with the found. Wow. And so this is our reality. Pain that comes from around God's table is a whole different level. Hmm. And, and frankly, dysfunction that's spiritualized is just a lot more complex. Hmm. When we hurt each other in the name of God, yeah. when we slander one another because God spoke something, quote unquote, to, oh, we just really need to be careful. <laughs> one of those days, all of those phrases are going to be evaluated. Yeah. So here's, here's my thoughts, Aaron, you know, in brief is this. Humanity pressed together guarantees pain. Yeah. It guarantees wounds. Working with other people in the body of Christ guarantees wounds. Avoiding wounds isn't realistic. Hmm. So where the energy goes into, though, is that keeping the wounds uninfected. Now, that's a goal I can keep before yeah. God. Yeah. I, ministering unwounded, sorry, I, I both sailed in Eden. Yeah. But ministering wounded but uninfected, that's a worthy cause. Wow. And so keeping the wounds uninfected is where the majority of my energy has gone hmm. in those type of interpersonal spaces of pain. Yeah. And we we do that head and down. Yeah. Good I, I keep scrambling earth up. You mm -hmm. know, when I was younger, I thought, oh, we just need to talk it through more. Yeah. We're just using the same word, you know, different words, but meaning the same thing. No, 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 not always. <laughs> <laughs> or, or I just need to show them that I'm on their team or I'm for them. Well, yeah. I, in some, some situations, yeah. in some situations, there's nothing you can do to convince Saul mm -hmm. that David's heart is pure. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's just not possible. Yeah. But even then, we can live uninfected. We can live with God knowing that we're doing our best. We can yeah. continue to bless them in Jesus' name. We can yeah. continue to forgive and to ask forgiveness. And that may be where the energy goes until we see him face to face and sit at the rather big table of the Last Supper. Blessing, blessing. Thank you so much. Will you pray for us today? Will you pray yeah. whatever direction you would like to, um, but just as we end the podcast um, in prayer? Yeah. Well, Lord, my heart goes toward the wounded, those who feel misunderstood and misrepresented, those who feel like even their reputations and their names are being stained by other people's choices, the things that can't be fixed by human hands and human words. God, you are with them and you are well familiar with being misunderstood and misrepresented. You even said, Lord, in your greatest sermon, blessed are you when you are insulted and persecuted, when people falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. There was a companionship you were drawing people's attention to with you and with the saints of old. This isn't the kind of companionship we signed up for, Lord, though we confess. <laughs> mm. uh, we would have taken a different path to formation. But we choose again. We choose again to follow you. 
even when that path leads to pain. We choose again to follow you, even when that path is leading to heartache and things that we can't fix, we can't resolve. We choose to follow you because of who you are, not because of the fruit we had hoped to find or the success we thought would be there. We choose to follow you because you said, follow me. And we reaffirm that commitment over and over and over through the day, through each night, until it leads us home. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen.